to season two of Inside My Canoe Head, a podcast about individual emergency preparedness, living through a pandemic, reinventing yourself, and chasing adventure. My name is Jeff. Thanks for joining us today, and let's get to it. All right, this week we are going to look at travel and preparedness, those days where when real life resumes, whatever that may look like for you. You and I are probably distinctly different individuals with chasing our own set of dreams. So we all have this post-pandemic reality in our mind. No, we're not post-pandemic now. Some people seem to think that some countries are coming out of the pandemic because of vaccination and, and they're not, but that's a whole different level of episode. The point being is is you you think now what your future world is going to look like and when mobility returns and we start to travel again and we start to go visit those people from whom we've remained isolated mostly because of love and caring over the past year or more we're going to reunite with these people um my jab is set for the 13th of may and uh, i'm very excited about getting an astrazeneca shot and so what we're looking at here is what what does that preparedness element look like as we consider travel again? Now, you're, you're, you're going to be prepared, no doubt, for the pandemic-related travel in the sense you're going to have a mask. You are going to have hand sanitizer on you. Uh, and you're probably going to have your own coffee mug, reusable mug, or something that you won't be taking from other people. So you are going, in a sense, with a bit of preparedness, but those are more learned habits, I would say, than actual thinking ahead, logical thought process about preparedness and when the travel world resumes. So what we're going to look at here today is how to consider that in your travel, how to consider it in your different types of travel that you'll be considering, and then... We'll put a little bit of a reality check into it in that uh, we need to calm down the, the tinfoil hat people. You can leave your house and go away from home for a couple of weeks and not worry about the world collapsing and all of your preparations going downhill because you chose not to stay at home. If you choose to live that kind of life, just think about it for a second. You are setting yourself and your family up for failure. By saying, because I've taken the necessary steps to be prepared to quote-unquote bug in in my house, that is now going to prevent us from spending any significant period of time away from all of these preparations. And basically, you end up building a bunker, not only in the physical sense, but in the psychological sense. You end up building a bunker mentality saying that you can stray, but never too far and never for overnight away from your preparations or something similar to that. So the first thing we're gonna to tackle today is the idea of travel and preparedness. Those two are actually very much related. So if you think back in the human experience, we used to do a lot of mobility, more so in reality than you actually do now. If anything and everything you needed, you had to travel somewhere to go. Travel was not an overnight flight across Europe or across an ocean. It was a several day horse journey. And I'll give you a prime example. 
in the United States of America, all of their elections are on Tuesdays. And it's a really neat historical reflection when you understand why. Because the polls would be open on Tuesday, they needed a day of travel for everybody from the countryside to make it into the nearest town for their vote to count. They needed a travel day. And because of the religious upbringing and the religious prosperity in the United States of America, nobody traveled on Sunday. It was the day of rest. It was God's day. You did not work on that day. So you could not travel to the polling station on Sunday. So it had to be Monday as a travel day. And therefore, their elections are held on Tuesdays. They built it into it. You saw the bedrolls on the back of horses. So the idea of preparedness to travel is not something new to the human race. But in the totality of somebody who's living a preparedness lifestyle, who is looking at a house full of like mine, 60 days of food, 60 days of water, and 60 days across all of the 10 sectors of critical infrastructure to back up my existence, I'm not taking that on the road. Even when I do a car trip, we're going to look at two different aspects. One car travel where you can take your car and a few extra things. And we're going to look at air travel where you can't do that. So first, when you're traveling by car, you are likely going to take a lot of stuff, some suitcases, everything else like that. You're going to go to a destination. You may be there two or three weeks. And your mobility back to your main residence is your vehicle. So you have your quote-unquote bug-out vehicle from your temporary destination back to your primary residence in times of emergency. So from a preparedness perspective, the first thing you're going to do is map alternate routes. You're going to make sure that if there's a, there could be a landslide, the roadblock, something like that, what are my alternate options? It's a quick map study. It's not more than a couple of minutes on Google Maps to figure out how you'll get around. And then based upon the mi average mileage of your car, can you do it in one gas tank? Do you need a little extra? The whole idea is just understanding that the most direct route may not, for whatever reason, be available to you. Take five minutes, study Google Maps. Even better than that, download those maps offline so they are accessible after the fact. Or like I said in the last episode, just get yourself a map book of the area where you live. They're good. Roads aren't moving, so you don't need to worry about having the latest and greatest thing. Just double check. But the point is, is that you're just going to have a quick look at your route. The next thing that you need to consider is like all elements, it gets down to basic human survival. Think about the five critical areas as I refer to them. And those are your need for thermal regulation of body core temperature, which means you're probably going to take clothes with you. I mean, even if you're going to a nudist resort, you need to make sure that you are clothed as you drive down the road. So basically look at the weather forecast. Think of the worst possible case scenario. Um, if the forecast is for all great weather, it doesn't mean you leave your rain jacket at home. And this is just preparedness. I have something called a ditch kit. Now, I use my ditch kit when I do a lot of inside my canoe head backcountry canoe camping. So it's just a pair of long underwear, tops and bottoms, wool sock, and a toque stuffed into this very, very crimped right down this very, very small dry bag about the size of a one liter Nalgene water bottle. And basically it's my ditch kit so that if I go into the lake, if I fall out of my kayak, it's always physically on my body somehow. So if I get separated from my load and I drag to shore and I'm wet, and at risk of hypothermia, I always have on me a dry set 
of change of clothes. Just bring something so that the worst case weather that you could experience over the period of your travels is covered. And if you remember my preparedness from last time, just tell me what to buy. Think about that stuff that should now be sitting in the trunk of your car and just add to it um, some clothing appropriate for where you're going. Very simple. The second thing is water. No, you're not taking 60 days of water with you. Or if you go for three weeks, listen, I keep a flat of those 500 milliliter bottles in the trunk of my car, right? So it's 12 liters of water. I just keep it there year round. It's just always good to have water. I always have a blanket in the back there, right? That's just part of the basic. But for water, I have that. Now, there are three things distinctive that I always bring with me on car trips. The first is an exactly one liter water bottle. Now, I, I, I'm a fan of the wide mouth Nalgene bottles, but it doesn't matter. You can use single walled silver uh, stainless steel so that you're able to put it on a fire to boil water if necessary. But that's a little bush crafty. Um, I always carry the one liter Nalgene bottle because it marries up with the second thing. I always carry a, a something called an aqua tab. So it's chlorine dioxide that goes into your water. It's one small pill that you drop into fairly clean water, two if it's really, really dirty water, and you let it sit for 30 minutes and it purifies it. And depending on which version you get, the chlorine or the chlorine dioxide, it may or may not kill viruses, but it will certainly kill all the bacteria that may be sitting in that water and make it safe to drink. So, you, you, you know, pretty much all over this world, unless you're in a desert, there are water sources. Now, the water sources may not be clean. So the point of having the one liter bottle is you fill it up with the unclean source. You drop the aqua tabs in there. They're very small, tiny, no bigger than a, you know, a pack of 50 or no bigger than a half a size of a package of cigarettes. And so I just throw them and they're just pill tabs and they last a couple of years and they're dirt cheap. But it basically means I can purify the water. The last thing that I bring with me for water is I always bring something called a life straw. Now you just Google life straw. It basically is a device that looks like a long tube that you hold it in water and you suck through it and it'll go through about a thousand gallons. It'll purify about a thousand gallons, including viruses and everything else. It is super lightweight, weighs only a couple of ounces. They're about 25 Canadian dollars to buy one. And I just throw it into my carry-on. I mean, it's just something that I always have with me whenever I travel away from my home. So now I'm able to provide for water. So food is, you know, I always like to carry three days of food uh, whenever I'm going anywhere. And uh, that's just me because, you know, sometimes I, I and, you know, I've been to people's houses as a guest and, and their food has been somewhat less than my palate or, or something different than I'm used to. And as a polite young man, I always was, was taught to eat what's put in front of me. So I did. And I always brought along a little extra, my favorite snacks, you know, like somebody, maybe you don't like my type of M&Ms or maybe you're a Skittles guy, you know, or maybe, you know, your thing is dark chocolate and mine is milk chocolate, whatever. I just keep about 6,000 calories worth of candy, food or whatever on me at all times. It's three days food. Uh, now in the car, I throw in another bag. I have a go bag. Um, I like to call it of which I will do an episode. I promise coming up on that. But to surmise, what's in that bag is basically a week's worth of food for me. Um, it's usually the dehydrated boil-in-the-bag type that you get from companies such as Mountain House or Alpine Air or something similar to that. There are going to be a lot of protein bars, things in there. But I carry in my car all the time. Whenever I travel outside of my city, I, I just carry a week's worth of food. And it's in a bag, again, that sits next to the water. 
And it's just, you know, it, it has a whole bunch of other stuff in it. Like I said, I'll talk about it some other time. But the point being is, is in the car, because I can, I carry a week's worth of food separate from the three days that I always carry on me whenever I go anywhere. And the only other element that I worry about on travel is first aid. And the reason I do that is because, you know, sometimes there are language barriers. Sometimes you're in small towns, the pharmacy or dispensary is closed. I just carry a small... Uh, first aid kit and remember if you don't have one adventure medical kits are the best ones to take i also throw in there and make sure i have some ibuprofen you know i could have a couple of wobbly pops with friends and need a little headache medicine the next morning or something but i just carry the basics and nothing extravagant if i'm not doing anything extravagant i don't carry extravagant things just the regular life stuff that i would need to come across uh, my car has a reasonable first aid kit in it anyhow as part of travel. It's just a little bit more. That has more trauma-related stuff. I have some fairly significant advanced trauma first aid courses. So I carry tourniquets, large presser dressings, uh, different types of wound bandages. You know, stuff that car accidents would be necessary. But that's, you know, because I have the training to go with it. It's no use carrying all that stuff if you don't have it. So, you know, boo-boo's that you need to take care of some headache medicine, you'll be good to go. So basically inside of a car, I take everything at a slightly larger capacity. So instead of say a couple of days of food, I, I basically take a week's worth of survival supplies in my car. And I mean, it's very basic. It's not this massive backpack size kit that takes up half the trunk, but I take the necessary basics to sustain myself and whomever I'm with for a week in the car. And the reason I do that is, as I think from the logic of where am I going and how long would it take me to walk back? Now, if I walk back along the highways, which are probably the most direct and safest routes, if I can walk about 50 kilometers a day, which is probably the extent probably less depending on the hill traffic. You walk about five kilometers an hour on average flat land. So with ups and downs, etc., 12 hours of walking, you're probably going to be close to 50 kilometers. You know, I could be up to 350 kilometers away and I have sufficient food and the capacity to purify water along the way. And my, my kit has a tarp and a sleeping bag in it anyhow, so that I can crash on the side of the road somewhere. Anyhow, I think of it from a perspective where I'm driving to, if in the very high unlikely event I have to walk back, what would I want to have with me? And it's nothing difficult. It's not this detailed, massive survival kit that you need. You think the very basics. What would I need to have with me if I was walking back? You know, great shoes, comfortable shoes, proper, you know, rain jackets, stuff like that. I would need food that would take very little, if no preparation. I would need something to sleep under. I would need a sleeping bag. You know, they're, they're not complicated things and I wouldn't be all that difficult to put it together largely. You don't even need a sleeping bag. If you take a blanket, a wool blanket from home, it's just as good as a sleeping bag. Like you don't have to go out and actually buy anything. So because it's in a car and because the car for the 99.9% .9 solution will be the conveyance that will carry the weight, I pack all of this stuff in there. And again, it fills up a little part of the trunk, but it's a car. You got room. There's roof racks. Don't worry about it. That's what I consider on a car trip. 
Now we're going to talk about the what I think is 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 the really thinking part here is when you're doing an airline trip. So if you're getting on a plane and you're flying somewhere, you're in America, you have TSA, you have Canadian Borders, CBSA in Canada. There's all kinds of uh, IATA regulations that restrict what an individual is allowed to bring aboard a plane. Like you cannot bring your condensed, your pressurized fuel canister for your jet boil on as a carry-on or not even supposed to put it in your luggage at all. Um, you can't bring on this big massive ferro rod or a cigarette lighter for a, you know those big barbecue lighters. They're probably not going to let you take that on the airplane. So you have to start to consider. And, you know, if you're like me and you want to fly just carry-on only or very little bit in your packed luggage, you obviously also got to consider the volumetrics or the space availability for travel. So again, I look at it from the same framework. It's the basics of survival. If you keep it at that level, you don't overcomplicate it. So I think back, what would I like to have in my hand? So the first thing I have is power. Now I talked about it in the last episode. We live in a connected global world that works on the internet and your cellular phone and your cellular devices, which means you need portable power for your telephone, your computer in your hand. So I carry a Mophie, which has six times the milliamps required to keep to recharge my phone. So essentially, I have six times battery life and I carry this thing with me all the time. It's always on uh, every plane that I go on, every trip that I go on, every time I go away from my home, I have this thing. Uh, the second thing is, is I carry the life straw that I mentioned before. I carry the water purification tablets and I carry the Nalgene bottle. So from that, by filtering through a sock, if necessary, for dirty water, I'm able to provide myself an almost limitless amount of potable water. So even if you don't have the aqua tabs and you just bring the life straw, you fill up your Nalgene bottle with the dirty, disgusting water, you jam the life straw into it and you suck through it and it'll take care of removing all the particulates, etc. It's easier on the life straw if you get the cleanest possible water you can. But the idea being is, is that that's a thousand gallons. That's 4,000 liters. I mean, you're going to be home before that thing expires. So with just this little life straw and your normal wide mouth Nalgene bottle, you're good to go. You've got water covered. And for food, I always, like I said, I always carry three days on me. I spent 28 years in the Canadian Armed Forces as a supply guy. I did supply chain management and everything was on days of supply. And every soldier had three DOS on them, as we used to call it, DOS for days of supply. So it's just something that proved with 100 years of the Army instructing this way, it just made a world of sense not to break what isn't broken. And so I keep three days of food on me. Now I go roughly 2,000 calories. I usually keep it in Cliff Bars, Protein Bars. M&Ms um, are great because the M&Ms were invented for soldiers in warfare because they didn't melt in your hand. They melted in your mouth. So just, you know, your favorite snacks, whatever, nothing complex, a little bit of healthy in there. But, you know, it's all about caloric. So I'm not packing apples because they're wonderful for you, but they're very low calorie. Uh, so I ca carry high calorie, high dense food. Uh, and so I'd bring that with me wherever I go. So it doesn't take up much mess. I mean, you know, half a box or a box of Cliff Bars and you're good to go in the bottom of your carry-on or something and, and, and you're fine. And 
and that you know when it's packaged food like that it, it generally does not run into problems at airlines when you go to and from like when i re- used to return to canada from overseas uh, i would always have to declare you know i brought this emergency food with me i never ate it uh, i'm coming back into canada with seven cliff bars and three bags of unopened m&ms and every time i got through clearance they just looked at them inspected them and they said yeah they're good to go because i bought them in canada took them with me and brought them back so it's very simple all of the food is requires absolutely zero preparation to consume. It's the principle of simplicity, and that's what I bring along. And then when I go for thermal regulation of body core temperature, it's very much about making sure, again, that I have the necessary gear for the climate that I'm going into. And so what's the best jacket? What's the best mid-layer? What's the best base layer? Like I talked about my ditch kit. I take that with me in my carry-on luggage as well. And a really good lightweight rain jacket is, is, is fantastic. I have a Heli Hansen that's over nine years old. Damn thing's bulletproof. I take it everywhere. It's a little bit heavier. I bought the extra large size so that I would have lots of space underneath for different layers. And I use it for almost anything. But I carry the necessary clothing for the place that I'm going. If it's a wet environment, I I have the appropriate stuff with me. And that's the whole point. The point is that you are dressing for the conditions that you are likely going to face where you are going. And those are the basic things that cover it. And your first aid, uh, again, I, I have a small, like think about the adventure medical kit, the smallest one, one person travel kit that they have. It's just a couple of basic items. So, I mean, you can put it together, some ibuprofen, some band-aids, a couple of uh, alcohol swabs to just clean something up, a little bit of polysporin. We're not thinking overly complicated at this point. We're just thinking of something little, something that fits into your carry-on or fits into your uh, checked baggage, but it covers the basics. So what we're going to ask yourself when you're designing this uh, airlines-recommended and airline-approved kit is that what you're looking at is... Have I covered all of the bases related to survival? Do Have I got thermoregulation of body core temperature done? AKA, I've got clothes that'll be appropriate for where I'm going and what I might likely run into. Do I have the ability to purify water? Because you can't carry enough. Let me trust you, you're going on an airplane. And then again, I just have those three days of non-perishable food that doesn't take anything to prepare. It's just, you know, or just, you know, doesn't take heat or anything to prepare. And they're on my food. So you've got the basics covered and you've got a little first aid kit for boo-boos that may come along. Listen, unless you run into actual trauma events, the most dangerous thing that can happen to you in the principle of first aid is infection. So what you need to be able to do is clean. Soap and water cleans really, really well. And I always carry a little bar, a bar of Dr. Bronner's in my luggage, right? I keep it in the original wrapping so I don't get the weird looks from TSA when I've got this unlabeled bottle of liquid. And bars, they never can spill into your luggage anyhow. So it's a simple bar of Dr. Bronner soap. Because if I can prevent infection, I can cover it with a Band-Aid, put a little polysporin on it, and my natural body will heal all of my wounds. The greatest threat that you have in the backcountry is infection. It's not wild animals or anything crazy like that. And the reason being it is, is because infection that gets out of control in the human system can kill you. Uh, And if you're in some type of survival or exceptionally elongated preparedness event, infection is a reality. So if you can keep yourself clean, if you can keep yourself healthy, then everything else will work out. So if you think about that, that's very, very basic. 
The very last thing that I think you should consider is where am I going? So who am I going to see? Where am I going to stay? If I'm staying at my uncle's farm, uh, I'm probably not going to worry about a food supply because I'm on a farm. Uh, but if I'm going to visit somebody in a rural part that has very sketchy, you know, dangerous roads or only one road in, road and road out, I might think a little bit more prepared. It's just think about where you're going. What is at the desk, especially if you're going to a family member's house that you've been there before, just think about what's the destination. What could I likely come up with? What would I likely need in an event? And that just adds, I mean, you're going to cover the basics as we talked about today, but just think about what else is there. And then that should give you a quick indication. If there's anything else you think you should bring along or address, then it's only going to be a small minor item. Listen, my entire survival kit for taking on an airplane, going on a bike ride, or anything like that is no bigger than a reasonably sized novel. It's no bigger than that because you don't need anything more than that. That's it. That covers everything that I need to be covered. And you certainly don't want to make preparedness this thing that just drives you nuts the whole time, that you're constantly thinking about where I should be, what should I be paying attention to. We could go on and on and about all the probability of events that could occur. The basics, when you take it from a viewpoint through a lens of looking at the basic survival requirements of the human animal, and you take those with you, then irrespective of the event that happens to you, you're going to have the ability to deal with it. So hopefully today on Inside My Canoe Head, these little travel tips were a bit of help for you, that you found them useful. Drop us a line at jeff at preparednesslabs.ca. Tell us what you think you'd like to have coming up. Uh, tomorrow I will be releasing a special episode on this podcast related to simply tomorrow's my one year anniversary. So I thought I'd put together some just general thoughts on one year as a podcaster in the middle of a pandemic. So thank you very much. Uh, take care, stay safe, wear a mask, take whatever jab they're going to offer you. And we'll look forward to seeing you in the future. All right, take care.